Well, good morning, church. I hope that video fired you up. I hope the worship fired you up and has you excited and filled with joy over what we get to be a part of as a local church here in Barrie. We're now part of a diverse global community of churches, and you heard the numbers in that video, more than 700 uh, churches, uh, 50 countries, 30 different languages. It's really awesome to think about what we get to be a part of, and we have set aside this morning to really talk about uh, and familiarize ourselves with what this new family of churches is really all about. And so we're going to lay a foundation for that in the Word. We're going to get right uh, into it this morning. The Apostle Paul uh, wrote um, this letter. He wrote letters to local churches and to uh, church planters and pastors. Uh, The Apostle Paul was all about uh, the church. Paul planted churches, Paul trained church planters, Paul coached and mentored and and helped pastors and churches do the work that God had given them to do. He reached into new areas and he helped to strengthen churches in, in places where it had already been established. And so if you have your Bibles in front of you, um, turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, and a couple of verses we're actually going to look at in this passage. I'm not going to read the whole thing for you, um, but um, if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 9, here's what we see. Uh, we are God's fellow workers. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And there's a couple of things that come out of uh, this very simple verse. First of all, we are in this work with God. We are co-laboring with the Lord. We are fellow workers with Him and what He wants to do in this world. There is a divine human cooperative that's going on uh, inside the church and in the mission that God has given to us. Secondly, God is at work in us and through us. It's entirely God's work in and through us, and that's awesome. The underlying assumption in this little phrase is, that, is in fact, that if we are God's fellow workers, then we ourselves are fellow workers also with one another, with God being the common link in all of that. In fact, the larger context in which Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, and if you're to read the entire passage, the entire context is really about divisions that had emerged in the church in Corinth. Yes, yes, it happens. Churches sometimes have divisions in them. Sometimes they have really hard things that they have to work through. And that was happening all the way back in the first century, just a a couple of decades after Jesus had been resurrected, after the church had been founded. Already there were challenges being faced in the church. And Paul's writing about divisions that had emerged in Corinth. And he, and he talked to them, in fact, in that same passage in verse 3 about jealousy and about strife. And he was appealing to them to see to it that they were instead one, unified, together in the church and in the mission that Jesus had given to them. I've just begun reading um, a book that was sent my way. It's written by the pastor of an Acts 29 church in Boston, uh, Massachusetts. It's a, it's a book called What the Church Can Be or What Church Can Be. Um, awesome little book. And uh, listen, he, here's, what, here's what the pastor said, the author of this book, Matthew Cruz. I hope I'm saying his name right. We can accomplish more gospel work together, keyword, 
We can accomplish more gospel work together than we ever could apart. Jesus never intended for us to function as lone wolves, but as partners laboring side by side for institutional health and gospel advancement. Whether it's ministry initiatives or gospel communities or community engagement or leadership development or sermon preparation, all our gospel work is now the direct result of a team effort. We are in this disciple-making, church-building, gospel-advancing work, keyword, together. Now, Matthew Cruz in his church in Boston, he's writing this talking about a local church. He's talking about his own church and how unified they are and how they're working together in this concept of team. But that applies broadly, church to church, within a fellowship, within a group of churches, all of them together working for the sake of the gospel mission that Christ has entrusted to us. And you know, as our as our elders wrestled with this, because it was um, more than three years ago that uh, we found ourselves without a fellowship of churches, and we were unaffiliated for 40 months, and we were wrestling with this, uh, this matter of affiliation, and where do we belong, and did a deep dive on our own DNA, and who are, you know, what, what kind of church we are, what we want to be as a church. One thing that was driving us the whole way, that if we didn't have this, I doubt I doubt we would have continued on the path to form this relationship with Acts 29. The one thing that was driving us was this. We simply believed that we should do this gospel work with other like-minded churches. Churches that shared our convictions and our motivations. We simply didn't believe that we should do this alone. Because we believe what Matthew Cruz wrote in, in that passage from his book We can accomplish more gospel work together than we ever could apart. And so here it is. It's in your notes. This is what we're going to look at as we familiarize ourselves with our new family of churches. As God's fellow workers, this is built right out of 1 Corinthians 3. As as God's fellow workers, we want to see him work through us so that more people will be saved and more churches will be planted. And I'm, I'm just hoping that wherever you are right now on the live stream or watching on demand during this week, that you're saying amen to that phrase. We're going to do that. We're going to accomplish this now as part of this Acts 29 family. So let's, let's find out more. Let's start with this. Acts 29 exists as, uh, this, this, is the, this is the why. This is the this is the specific mission of this fellowship of churches. This is the raison d'etre for why it exists. Acts 29, here it is. Acts 29 is a diverse global community of healthy, multiplying churches characterized by three things. Theological clarity, cultural engagement, and missional innovation. Now, let's break uh, that down a little bit, talk about some of these words. First of all, diverse means that the churches in the network it means a bunch of things, by the way, but it means that the churches in the network may look different from one another in name, in worship style, in how they govern themselves, even in terms of the mode or timing of baptism, and in, in any number of other, what we would call secondary or tertiary, tertiary matters in the church. So there's a lot of diversity in, church, in terms of what churches look like inside Acts 29. But it's also, when we talk about diversity, it's also diverse in, in terms of ethnicity. 
It's diverse in terms of scope and size of ministry. It's diverse in terms of urban and rural, of rich and poor. It's, it, this, this diversity encompasses everything. And this diversity is a great strength of Acts 29. This diversity also speaks to matter, matters of justice. Because if you are a gospel-transformed person and a gospel-transformed church, then you're going to want your local church to reflect the diversity that this world uh, displays. So you can't be for diversity and not speak to matters of justice, for example. This diversity speaks to matters of justice. You can't strive for diversity and still hold on, for example, you can't hold on to racism and say that we're a a diverse global family of churches or that we're a diverse local church. You can't be racist and believe that. You can't be be a classist, rich and poor, that this church isn't for people who are homeless or broken or vulnerable. You can't be ageist. You can't say it's just a church for young people or it's just a church for old people. You can't be ableist. You, you can't uh, look at disabilities and exclude anybody on the basis of that. This is a diverse church, and everyone, anyone can come and be a part of this. And that is a true reflection of what the gospel is doing in our lives to transform us. So Acts 29 exists uh, for this purpose. It's, first of all, a diverse. Second of all, it's also a striving to be healthy and multiplying in that God is working to grow us internally and also externally by reaching out to others who aren't part of this yet. And the three values that drive it are articulated there. Theological clarity. We appreciate as we work through our assessment process, uh, it, which was very thorough, we just appreciate the thoughtfulness that has gone into Acts 29's doctrinal positions. How these align with who we are and what we already believe. We, uh, we also understand that Acts 29 is about cultural engagement. In our mission to make uh, disciples of all nations, we understand that the gospel work must be contextualized for each place that we bring the message of Christ. That language and customs matter. The church must never presume that everyone hears the message of the gospel in the same way. Theology does not change. The gospel does not change. But the delivery method must certainly change depending on the cultural context. And the Apostle Paul understood this. And then this uh, third value, missional innovation. Too many churches, and I, I think you'll know if you have any experience at all in the church, I think you'll know this, that too many churches become stale or stuck because they refuse to innovate. They refuse to change. In fact, they confuse. This is what happens in a lot of churches. They confuse the unchangeable with the changeable. Culture and society uh, are always changing, and so must the church to meet the challenge of each generation while not changing what we believe about the gospel and about Jesus Christ. So that's uh, the reason for Acts 29. Now let's look at this. Acts 29 believes in, and this is from the website. There's nothing new uh, doctrinally here. They're standing uh, on first century apostolic teaching on the Word of God. Acts 29 stands in the tradition of historic evangelical confessionalism. 
And they acknowledged the vital importance, and we really appreciated this as we were working again through our assessment process, the vital importance that elders of individual Acts 29 churches play in determining where they stand on these matters of secondary importance. But collectively, as a church now, we are agreeing with all these hundreds of other churches that are part of Acts 29, we're agreeing on some things collectively Five theologically driven core values is what they're called. And our doctrinal statement has not changed. We have worked on that. That's robust. It reflects who we are as a church. But we're now simply adding the distinctiveness of Acts 29 to our own. Or we're adding our distinctiveness to the Acts 29 family, however you want to see that. But here's these five theologically driven core values. This is what we believe in. Gospel, first of all, gospel centrality in all of life. Gospel centrality in all of life. The gospel does not simply save. It does not simply save us, but the gospel also is constantly changing us into the image of Jesus Christ. The gospel further informs everything in my life. There's no decision that I'm making that is not gospel informed when I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Every single individual must be personally confronted with their own dilemma over sin, the crisis that they have over sin. Every individual must look to the cross and look to the empty tomb for salvation. Every single individual must come to Jesus Christ and see him as the substitute for their sin and the one and only way to be redeemed. Every one of us, having received him, must then pursue a life of holiness, not at all to earn our salvation, but to show evidence of what God has already done in our lives. The gospel must be central in every aspect of our lives. Secondly, we believe in the sovereignty of God in saving sinners, and I've already hinted at this, but salvation is 100% a work of God. It is, and here's the three Latin phrases that came from the Reformation that we would embrace, sola fide, sola gratia, solus Christus. You can do nothing to save yourself. You can do nothing to keep yourself saved. It is 100% the work of God. It is received by faith alone. By grace alone, through Christ alone, you and I bring nothing to the table to affect our own salvation. We believe in, uh, thirdly, the work of the Holy Spirit for life and ministry. We do not limit, ignore, marginalize, or deny the work of the Holy Spirit in us as individual believers or in the church as a whole. In that same letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit as being both the individual believer and the church as a whole, that the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit or the dwelling place of his power and presence. And so we believe in the gifts of the Spirit, freely distributed to the people of God to affect God's ministry. We believe in the fruit of the Spirit as as our character aligns itself with Christ's. And we believe in all of the Holy Spirit's other powerful works among us. We pray for and earnestly seek the manifest presence of God in this place. We want people to come. 
and sense something different when they're here with us. That can happen just as easily in the room when we're all together. And it can happen right now in a live stream. You're watching a video. You can sense the Holy Spirit working because he is omnipresent. And he is in this world as a gift from Jesus Christ so that we would know the presence of God, that we would see God working every day of our lives. We believe Uh, Fourthly, in the equality of men and women and the principle of male servant leadership. Don't miss any part of that. We embrace the principle of, uh, of equal but not the same for men and women. We see the office of elder and pastor for men alone. But in all other aspects of the ministry, we have both men and women serving. And fifth, we see the local church. This is so critical, we see the local church as God's primary mission strategy. As evidenced in the New Testament, the mission is to make disciples. And we see throughout the book of Acts that what's happening is that the apostle Paul is going out and others of his missionary partners are going out and they're establishing churches. Paul said to Titus, I want you to go and I want you to appoint elders in all the cities. They're establishing churches where the disciples can carry out the mission of Christ. As imperfect and as broken as the church is at times, and when you read the entire letter of 1 Corinthians, you get a really great picture of how broken a church can be and yet how much Jesus can still love that church. So as imperfect and broken as churches can be at times, and we know that here at Harvest, we know how broken and how imperfect a church can be. We've been through our difficult seasons. We also know that the church is entrusted with the gospel mission in this world. God doesn't have a plan B, that this is it. This is God's primary strategy. There's no other conclusion that you could come to as you read the word, but that God intends to work in and through the church. And so this is all consistent with what Harvest has been about for these uh, 20 years now. And that's why we have discovered through fasting, through prayer, through research, through conversation, through a long period of time of seeking, this is why our elders felt like Acts 29 was such a great match for our church because there's such great alignment on all of these uh, principal beliefs and values. Well, let's talk now about what Acts 29 wants to be known for, because this is very important in, in a world where so much is known, where we have so much information, where people are seeking to be famous and to make a name for themselves. What does Acts 29 actually want to be known for? The values of an organization, which we've already looked at, the values of an organization always inform the mission. What you believe is going to determine what you do. What you value says everything about who you are and how you're going to spend your time, how you're going to spend your energy, how you're going to spend your resources. And so as a member of A29, we want to be known for the following uh, four things. We want to be known, first of all, for planting healthy, multiplying churches. We want to plant church planting churches. We've been blessed over the past 20 years to have partnered um, in planting Harvest Muskoka just up the road. We planted um, in partnership with our old fellowship, Harvest Glasgow, Harvest uh, Douala and Yaoundé in Cameroon. And then when you just start to think about those plants, 
Harvest Muskoka has such a heart for their whole region uh, that they've now, they started in Port Sydney. Now they're in Huntsville, Bracebridge, and Perry Sound, three locations in Muskoka. We think about Harvest Glasgow, and they're making preparations right now. They have the planter. They have the support in place. They have people that are pledged to go about 35-minute drive south of Glasgow into air, and they're going to plant a new church there, and we're coming alongside them to assist them in that. And our Cameroon churches have trained planters and are planning for two more plants in Limbe and Yaoundé this year. And so we have planted church-planting churches to the glory of God. And that's the mission. That's what we want to be known for. That's what we want to, we want to, we want to go right to the end, right to our last breath, putting all of our energies into planting more churches. Then secondly, this, of pursuing holiness and humility. We want to be known for pursuing holiness, to be like Jesus Christ and humility, seeing that it's entirely about him, not us. When the gospel saves you, there's this longing that's put there by the Holy Spirit to be like Christ. There's a longing to deal with sin and root it out, to resist temptation, and to, as 1 Peter once says, to be holy even as he is holy. And a little later on in that same letter, Peter implores us to be humble people. Humble yourself, he says, under the mighty hand of God. This is all the Lord to give him all the credit and all the glory. We want to be known for our humility and our holiness. And we also want to be known for being radically diverse, a radically diverse and global community. We've talked about this um, already earlier in the message, but our, our diversity in language, our diversity in ethnicity, our diversity in age, our diversity in gender, our diversity in all of it is so critical. So again, there's no room for, in the church, there's no room for racism. No room for any of the isms. Harvest in Acts 29 will reflect the diversity that we actually see. You go into the book of Revelation and you read at the end of the age, you look at Revelation 4 and 5 and these great throngs of people who are the people of God at the end of the age, and they're before the throne room of God. Every tribe, every nation, every language, every people, they're all there. We want that now. We want that in this church, and we want that around the world. And that is, in fact, what we're seeing and what has drawn us to this organization. And then Finally, this praying for conversions through evangelism. And by God's grace, we, uh, regular, we get to regularly see those who have come to faith in Christ. We're going to baptize one more uh, today and over the last three Sundays. Now we've been baptizing uh, people who have come to faith in Christ here, and we're so excited about that. We uh, go and tell uh, people who um, maybe aren't uh, prepared to come in here and hear the message. We also tell people to come and see, come and watch the videos, join us on the live stream, watch this on demand, come to the building when we're able to do that. We pray earnestly for those who don't know Christ to be led to faith in Him because that is their only hope. The apostles in Acts chapter 4, just as the church is getting started and they're kind of laying out the message and they're, they're 
carrying out in the very first steps, they're carrying out this gospel mission. And in Acts 4.12, they, they say there's salvation in no one else, for there's no, under, uh, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name, no other hope. There's only Jesus Christ, and we need to be praying for conversions through evangelism and that God would build His church. Now, another um, point, a last one here that we need to look at, and again, because there's so much pressure in society today to see this in a way that is not helpful and not biblical, but Acts 29 looks at success as what? So easy to get off track here because we live in this metrics-driven world. We live in a world where whoever has the highest number, that person wins. And the church is so influenced in this, we're tempted to measure success in all the wrong ways. And no matter who does what or where it happens or how successful we might think a thing to be, and this Again, is from 1 Corinthians 3, but verse 7 this time. It is God who gives the growth. I mean, it doesn't matter how clever you are, how innovative, what strategies you bring to the table. It doesn't even really matter in the sense that it's not going to immediately affect results. But if you're a praying person and a sharing person, and you're actually out there telling people about Jesus... At the end of the day, no matter what you're doing, both good and bad, both, both uh, properly motivated and not properly motivated, no matter what it is, God gives the growth. There's no other way to make it happen. We're wholly dependent on Him. Success, in other words, is measured not by the size of your church or the growth rate or the budget or the number of staff people you have, or even of the number of churches you've planted. Success is not measured by any of these things. Success is measured by the faithfulness that you have toward the mission. It's God saying to each one of us, what have you done with what I gave you? That's really all that God is concerned with, not that we measured up to some human standard of success. So it's not, and and let me, I want you to hear the difference between these two phrases. It is not how many converts you have or how many baptisms you've done. It's not that, but it's did you share the message? Did you pray for the lost? In other words, you and I are going to work on the things that we can work on, We're going to work on the things that God has entrusted to us. We're going to work on the things that we can control. We're going to work on the things that God put into our hands to do. And not on the things that we cannot control and that are not in our hands and that God did not give us to do. God says, in essence, let's do it this way. You share the gospel and I'll save people. That's what God is saying to us. And we're going to succeed to the extent that we see these things happening in our lives. First of all, this is going to be success for us. Recruiting church planters dedicated to leading healthy, multiplying churches. We need to be far more intentional about finding, recruiting, training, and praying over men and their wives who are going to take on this incredible challenge. I I want to say this. We need to start watching for church planters in Harvest Kids and Awana. We need to be watching for them 
at Harvest Youth on Tuesday nights. And we need to be praying about certain young men and certain women who are going to go and do this work of planting churches. Remember, the church is God's primary mission strategy. And so what we're doing now is we're seeing some really practical ways that we're going to try and accomplish that and measure success in doing it. And by the way, even as we think about recruiting for church planting, we're not necessarily talking about seminary trained. And there may be some who are seminary trained and who go that path, but it isn't always necessarily the way that someone might come to be a church planter. We're looking for those who are gifted and passionate and willing and called by God and who are willing to go and do this vital work. Here's a second one. We'll succeed to the extent that we assess uh, these men based on core competencies to lead healthy, multiplying churches. And this is where 829 brings so much strength to us. They have great experience, and they have wonderful tools and a proven track record that are going to help us assess planters so that we send them out ready for the challenging work that's ahead of them. We're looking forward to that. And then third is to develop men who are planting or leading healthy, multiplying churches through coaching, training, and support. And this is really church-to-church and and Acts 29 itself linking arms together to support these church plants as they go out. This is the strength of doing this together in partnership um, with A29 as as a network and as the individual churches with whom we're now connected. And so now you're getting a picture with all of this, and I realize that I've just given you so much. It's like, I know you're drinking from a fire hose right now, but you're getting the picture that our mission really is about planting churches. The mission of Harvest Bible Chapel Berry is planting churches. And we're not going to be successful in the eyes of God if we cease to share the gospel, if we cease putting our energies into growing church planters, if we cease planting churches. Because everything, everything is about the mission to make disciples and plant churches that love God and love people. And so this is the ministry that we have to be about. And we're excited to be doing that as part of our new Acts 29 family. And again, to come back to that phrase Uh, from earlier in the message, we can accomplish more gospel work together than we ever could apart. And if you want to learn more about all of this, um, go to the Acts 29 website, acts29.com, to see all the resources that are available there. You can start looking at where churches are in the world, in different countries that we're working in. Subscribe to the updates. There's a newsletter at the bottom of the page that you can subscribe to. Write to your inbox. You'll get all these updates about what God is doing in the world through Um, this global, this diverse global family. And you can thank God, even as you look at all that, thank God for what he's doing in this new global community that we get to be a part of. For we are God's fellow workers. We are his field. We are his building. Let's pray together. Father, I am grateful for what you have done in our lives God, you have been so gracious and kind to us all of these years. And Father, I'm grateful that uh, we were given a legacy and we have been a church that has seen uh, you work through us and we're uh, so blessed by that. God, we're excited though for this next chapter. And so God, please use this new relationship that we have with Acts 29 to further your kingdom and to lead many more people to know Jesus Christ and to see many more churches planted for the glory of Jesus Christ. God, be glorified. Be pleased with what you see in us as the church. God, be glorified in this church. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.